Hi, this is Ken Renner, real estate expert, and I'm uh, here with David Disraeli, and we are doing the 360 Net Worth podcast. And David Disraeli is not only a friend of mine, he's also my financial advisor. Uh, he also helps me establish businesses. Now, he's been in the business for over 33 years for finan financial services, insurance, uh, wills, estates, business planning, all kinds of, I mean, really, that's why we call it uh, Net Worth 360, right? So you, you, you cover it all. Uh, really wise, you've been doing it for over three decades, and so I'd like to talk to you about what you're, um, you know, what's happening in the market, and and uh, how do how do we uh, really help people during these trying times? And you know, let's talk about it. So, I've been re you know thinking about uh, a lot of things lately, uh, and you know, during the season, people like to, uh, like myself, are concerned in general. Um, what do you recommend people do? For example, organization, documents, accounts. What do you think? What should we Those do? Are what's great the, questions. What's too. the first step? The first the first step is to take an inventory. Right now, people have time. They're working at home to sit down and reevaluate, um, making a list of accounts, account numbers, getting all their documents in order, insurance policies, bank accounts. So, God forbid something happens to them, their family knows right where to go to get all that uh, all that information. Uh, the second part of that is the ability to look at everything on a global scale, to to make decisions. Right now is a very difficult time to decide, do I take money out of the market? Do I put money into the market? Do I wait? Those decisions can't really be made until somebody looks at the whole picture. And honestly, right now, nobody has any answers. And if people are out there promoting you know, this stock or that stock or the, the right time to get in, don't listen because nobody knows how far reaching this thing's gonna be or what to do right now. So my advice is sit back, relax, and take stock and inventory reevaluate and make a list that's a great advice you know I, I was just thinking about that is that the pan whole panic in the market and panic with toilet paper and everything and the whole bottom line is that we need to take a a, a good look at our paperwork really um, this time you know spring cleaning be able to take a look at our paperwork see where we're at I mean have we actually looked at our financial statements see where we're at um, we know given the huge drop uh, in the market uh, what are your uh, suggestions regarding people like 401ks and you know a lot of nervous people out there with they're looking at the markets trying to retire well the market's given up pretty much all the gains from the last two years it dropped so fast it is starting to come back a little bit we call that a dead cat bounce where people think oh it's time to go back in the water and what do they find a bunch of sharks and the, and the first people in are the ones that get the bloodiest so I, I think right now is the time to uh, to watch carefully uh, if anything uh, maybe make some small adjustments over time, but don't do anything major right now. Uh, any particular areas or better investments that are hit harder or that uh, where people should should have been or where, where they should be now? That's a great question. I, I get it almost daily now because people are saying, you know, this industry has been hit too hard. Uh, my daughter was talking about buying cruise stocks because they're getting just slaughtered right now. Um, so there's some industries that have been hit harder than they should, and there's some that are frankly going to benefit, like drug companies and companies that are producing these tests and laboratories and you know, companies like Uber that are now going you know, 24-7. Um, but the fact is, we don't know when the market's going to bottom. We don't know when the economy is going to get back to normal. And without that uh, information, or at least a good sense of that information, um, the timing is just not good right now to make any major decisions. Even the, the the stocks that have been absolutely battered, unless you're a you know a risk taker, a real risk taker. 
Well, you know, I saw an article recently that less than 50% of the people are in the stock market. I mean, especially the millennials. They don't trust it as much as uh, the baby boomers did. And, you know, this is a perfect example of, of what happens when you, you know, hopefully you didn't put all of your eggs in one basket. So what other hard assets would you uh, recommend people start thinking about? Um, commodities? Real estate? I get that question as well. Um, specifically, precious metals and real estate. Um, there's a lot of people that don't trust the U.S. dollar. They don't trust our, our purchasing power, and they want to buy gold. So when things get hairy like they are right now, gold prices tend to react. But um, gold prices were basically stagnant for 20 years, and they just shot up. So it's unpredictable as well. Real estate, on the other hand, uh, is a constant. People have to have a place to live. No matter how bad the economy gets, people have to live somewhere. They have to either own or rent. And that's been the, the case since the founding of our country. So even though I grew up as a stockbroker and was literally inundated with information about the market has always outperformed everything, uh, I've shifted more towards real estate in terms of where people should invest for the long term. Well, yeah, I'm, of course, I'm a real estate uh, broker, real estate expert. That's what I do. So I appreciate that input. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's food, clothing and shelter, right? Uh, but if you don't have shelter, you don't have any place to put the food or the or the uh, clothing, right? So it's it's going to be the the thing that everybody holds on to. We've got to have a have a roof over our heads. Uh, so I know you're doing a lot of state planning, and that's on a lot of people's minds. You know, with the you know, the think rethinking, like you said, the spring cleaning of your of your uh, your wills and your um, you know your, all the things that all the documents that you have to have in case even if somebody got sick, right? There are certain things that have to have that's in right. place. That's right. And then even life insurance. You know, we re look Looking at that, I, I, I just double-checked to make sure that I had enough um, uh, recently and make sure they were all in place because, you know, who knows? I mean, sometimes they don't get the check in the mail and you don't have life insurance, right? So tell me about these things that you would need for estate planning, especially in trying times like this. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because 50% uh, of the United States um, do not have a will or an effective estate plan. 50%? That's what I was. That's what I've been told. That's what I've read, um, and that's what I've found in experience. People, um, at least half the people I come across, either don't have one, or it's too old, or it's invalid, or they can't find it, and either need to do one for the first time or, or revisit the one that they do have. For our younger listeners, when do you start a will? When do you need one? Pretty much as soon as you either get married or accumulate assets, because without a will, there's a uh, a, a saying actually everybody has a will and people look at me kind of cockeyed for a minute and I just pause and then they realize what I'm saying without a will the state of Texas or any state rather is going to create one for you so it's either going to uh, be distributed your estate that is according to what your wishes are or according to state law now if you have children it gets a lot more complicated because if you have minor children and something happens to you and your wife in the same accident or if you're single and the mother is no longer living or can't be found or isn't competent then the court has to appoint a guardian and that's just a mess because people come out of the woodwork like aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and they they there's a tug-of-war and they fight over the kids because the judge doesn't know what to do if you haven't let, left him, you know, written instructions. So I have a, a basic checklist that I ask people to go through. Uh, one is to list all their assets, give me the names and ages of their children, talk to me about any special needs that they have, and then they can create a document that addresses all their concerns, all their needs, sign it, 
notarize it, make a copy of it, scan it, and then sleep at night. Well, and there's also, you know, sometimes we have a lot of mixed marriages, you know, from people getting married and divorced and things like that. There's a whole there's a whole conversation over that. Who gets what, you know, down the line uh, between, you know, people that are getting married. So, you know, and not only protecting your, um, you know, your disposition when you pass, but what about if you don't pass and you get in that, uh, God forbid, that terrible accident and you're in a you're in a hospital bed and you can't talk and you've got what happens to the uh, to the spouse or, or whatever when we're dealing with something like that? What do you need in place for that? That's a great question. I have a saying, what could kill you might just maim you, whatever it is, <laughs> oh, whether it's an accident. I know it sounds morbid, whatever, whatever it might be, whether it's an accident or an illness, it may not kill you. It may just maim you. And there's legal procedures that have to be followed in the event that you're incapacitated. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, let's suppose that uh, you and your wife go into the ER because you're having a, a episode. Episode uh, could be uh, heart related. It could be blood pressure. It could be a headache. It could be an accident. And they decide that you need a procedure, and someone has to sign off on that procedure. And you would assume that your spouse can act on your behalf. The problem is the hospital or the doctor or the facility that's going to look at that form that they're requiring somebody sign and look at you hooked up to a machine say well he can't sign it and then they can make a decision right then and there whether they'll allow the wife to sign it or they won't and by law they shouldn't because they don't know if they're still married they don't know if someone just filed for divorce the solution is to have something called a medical power of attorney that appoints an agent or a proxy that can make decisions on your behalf otherwise you could wind up in a courtroom at the worst possible time the same thing is true for financial transactions can uh, you know from being in real estate mm -hmm. that people use powers of attorney all the time to conduct real estate transactions for different reasons one is somebody may be out of the country or someone's incapacitated and the title company has to review that power of attorney so that you the agent can sign on that person's behalf or the, otherwise that transaction is just not going to happen worst case is you got to get a judge to appoint somebody and that's just a, a nightmare that can be avoided very easily yeah that's a that's a real disaster that can be prevented by your services being able to get this stuff taken care of do the spring cleaning now folks uh, to get your financial uh, house in order while you're still at home. Get the dust off those documents and run them by somebody such as David here. Uh, the other thing that I was concerned about is that, you know, was probate. You know, if you don't have a will and you and you have a lot of real estate and it goes into probate, I mean, look at look at Prince. He died without a will, a $50 million um, estate. You know, the, the state gets to decide what happens to all that. Uh, all that money and how it gets dispersed on somebody who we don't know or may not even trust, right? So, what is your uh, take on the asset protection and the and how to how to avoid or the consequences of probate when it comes to real estate? Well, let's just talk about what probate is for a second. Probate is the process of transferring assets from a deceased person to their heirs or beneficiary, and that's going to happen one of two ways. Um, either actually three ways sorry either there's a valid will where an executor is appointed the court approves the executor the executor then transfers the assets or there is no will so the, the state has already created one and it dictates who's going to get what and then they have to appoint an executor so it can drag out uh, for months and months and months now the problem with with real estate is that you have multiple steps to transfer property anyway like right now, we can go to a title company, we can buy and sell property, and behind the scenes, there's a lot of paperwork that gets 
uh, signed and notarized and recorded. What happens during probate is someone has to actually be appointed by the court, either through a will or by default, if there is no will, to sign off on every single one of those properties. And there may be properties in multiple states, which is why we form living trusts or LLCs or a combination of living trusts and LLCs. Or so multiple people, names, too. That's right. So I've had one client that had six properties he wanted to transfer to an LLC, and all six were titled differently. Oh, great. He had first initial, middle name, first name, middle initial, and then they had one where the first and middle were combined into one name, and every single one of them had to be signed exactly the way it was typed originally and then moved into an LLC where now there will be no probate on those assets at all. So one thing is really important uh, that most young people, millennials, don't consider, but is when is it time to get life insurance and how much? Well, that's a great question. Um, do we have an extra hour? <laughs> well, just the, the nutshell. I mean, I know I kind of know the answer. It's really to protect the future income of the of the the provider of the of the income and make sure your kids have enough to go to school and make sure your wife is taken care of. So, I mean, I know the short answer for it. But what is your what's your take on it? How much do we need and when? You need life insurance as soon as there's an economic risk to your passing. That could be because you took out a loan and don't want your, your parents saddled with it if something happened to you, or you have a wife that's dependent upon your income, uh, or maybe a wife and children that are dependent upon your income. So the answer to how much would be a factor based on how much income would be lost, or alternatively, how much income would be needed. Some people believe they're going to make $10 million during their working life, and they want a giant life insurance policy to make sure that whether they're here or not here, that same $10 million is generated. Others decide based on how much income is going to have to be generated, like 3000 a month or 4000 a month, and then you back into what dollar figure would produce 3000 a month, 4000 a month. So it's simply mathematical. For the duration, have, right? For right. The and it has to go up with inflation. So you have to you have to factor that in. So really, it's a simple Excel spreadsheet. Simple for me because I do it all the time. Uh, but it's basically just a mathematical calculation. And then you have to decide: Do you want term? Do you want permanent? Do you want a fifteen-year term? Do you want to you know a mix it up? Because at some point, uh, those term policies are going to expire, which is another problem and, and the subject of another podcast. So we do when want. do you not need life insurance? And when when is when is it over? In other words, <laughs> you got enough assets, or what is it? You know. That's a really hard question to answer because <laughs> some people believe that, that once you've accumulated a net worth that can produce enough income, you no longer need life insurance. So they estimate that to be somewhere around 60, 65 when they retire. And what I found in my experience is that people, even in retirement, are involved in activities like taking out loans on an apartment complex or uh, a medical building or some business venture where they don't need the income replacement as much anymore, but they don't want their family saddled with this giant loan when they're not around to manage that investment. That's been some great information. We cover a lot of territory in less than 20 minutes. So I just wanted to, what's your final uh, thoughts for today? You know, that you want a, a word of encouragement for our listeners and, you know, um, how are things going at home? Uh, well, thank you. Um, everybody's healthy. I think that um, we live in unprecedented times. Um, I don't think the vast majority of the U.S. public is, is going to contract or die from this illness, but it is a warning that life is fragile. It can be short, 
and we can use this time to reevaluate uh, because we've just been handed in the last 30 days something we've never been handed as a nation and protect before. our assets protect our assets and our loved ones <laughs> yes thanks for having me right thanks david